0: Good morning. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today's sermon is entitled Dimensions of Spirituality. I'm not trying to be uh, strange with that title, but I do think that it's a a helpful process for understanding uh, that spirituality and life with Christ does have some dimension to it. There is, there is uh, some some variation in it, and so we want to look look this morning. And I'm going to begin reading in in First uh, Corinthians chapter two at verse 14. If you want to follow along, First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as uh, as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Then in verse 3, for you are still carnal. Uh, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would encourage and strengthen us through your word today. We thank you for the scripture, for the life that we have in Christ. And we ask, Lord, you'd help us to, uh, to understand this life perhaps better today and we'll give you the glory for what you accomplish. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I am not trying to be controversial today in the sermon, but I realize it's a controversial topic. And so I hope at the end of this, if we are friends right now, we'll still be friends at the end. Uh, but I might step on your theological toes just a little bit as we, as we go through this. We do understand, I think it is fairly universally accepted in Christianity, that there are three different phases or tenses to sanctification. Uh, there is a past sense for those who are believers They have uh, they have a position in Christ. We are we are called saints. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We have this this position of sanctification in which uh, the Father views us through the lens of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and we have a forgiveness, if you will, a positional sanctification. In in our in our faith, the second tense is past tense. Now present tense. This is really the where the sermon lies today. That's really what we're going to try to try to grapple with. But we understand that there is a process that we are we are involved in, where we are becoming more like Christ. Where there is a change that's taking place in our life. Where where. We who walked in darkness and in sin, and our lives were were consumed with that, where where we are to be growing and maturing and developing and and becoming more like Christ, and hopefully you are in that growth process. That's really the second phase. That's this present uh, sanctification that that we that we uh, are all engaged in. Currently, we're all we're all trying to work and grow and mature in Christ. The third phase, which is uh, what my mother is now enjoying since February, is is that that final phase, that that future phase, where where uh, salvation becomes not by faith, but it's really by sight. It's really it's really uh, uh, where all of the, the promises and the fruition of the, of the Christian life comes to pass as, as, uh, as, as one day we will be with Christ. So those three phases, we have the past, where we were saved, the present, which we're grappling with today, and then that which is future and, and perfect sanctification, which is yet to come. In in understanding now this this middle phase, this present sanctification, this, this becoming more holy and, and more like Christ, actually in today's church is quite controversial. Um, I, have, uh, I have relatives who are engaged in in what is sometimes called the free grace movement, in, in which uh, they they essentially believe um, that w- when you receive Christ, there are no expectations laid upon you as to what your life would actually be like. And you can, you can if you will, say a sinner's prayer, and, and um, hopefully you grow, but you don't have to grow. On the far end of the other spectrum, though, there is, there is, and I'm going to, for for maybe lack of a better term, it would be a reformed position, or sometimes at at faith we would identify it perhaps as a lordship salvation position, in which when someone is saved, the idea of lordship salvation, they are receiving Christ as their Lord, and there is uh, there is the expectation. Of of a more complete sanctification that happens when when you are saved, and and so you have you have the you have these ex, these extreme positions, um, and I would like to carve out some area in the middle. I'd like to I'd like to th- I think there is there is a lot of room in the middle for us to think about what. Uh, true sanctification or pro- progressive sanctification looks like in the Christian life. Uh, I think both ends of that spectrum are making significant mistakes in how they view the Christian life. And so what I want us to do is I want to I walk through this passage, and I have done this with, uh, with not only people who are of a free grace model, but I have I have some very good friends in ministry who who are very reformed in their view of salvation, and and um, uh, I have some very interesting conversations with with fellow professors. Not none of them at Faith, but from from my previous school, who who look at this passage through a different lens than than I do. And so I want I want to just. I think, I think the passage is not confusing. I think it's a very clear passage. And so I want to I just engage us in that as we, as we think through. And let me tell you this, we're headed somewhere today, this morning. Not that we're going to, we're, we're, we're a little bit on a journey, but where I want to end today is I want to end the church covenant, uh, which we are voting on in the, at the 11 o'clock hour. And so I'm, I'm, I'm headed in a certain direction today that I think will hopefully be able to help us as we are moving towards the, uh, the business meeting that's coming after this. So first of all, I want us to think about the, what the scripture identifies in verse 14 as the natural man. Now, Paul has been discussing the ministry of the Holy Spirit and and in the previous verses he's talking about and this is what uh, one of the primary passages on the spirit working in the christian's life how the how the scriptures are illuminated by the spirit he, he th- this is a, this is a one of the primary passages that deals with how the spirit works in the in a person's life and so now now paul really interrupts that process and then he says in verse 14 the natural man uh, or literally the soulish man which is where all of us start all of us start there all of us are an unsaved person at the beginning we are all born into this world lost in sin Every one of us have the, the 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 Adamic root of sin, the Adamic guilt of sin. We, we, that's all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins, as as Ephesians chapter two calls it. And so he he explains this. What this literally the soulish man explains what this natural man is like. And he says in verse 14, he does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So so number one, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. Why? Why doesn't he receive, which he's just been talking about in in earlier verses, why doesn't the natural man receive the things of the Spirit? And it's because he doesn't have the Spirit. The Spirit is not in him and number 2 it is foolishness to him number 3 they cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned now an unsaved person can read the bible can can read the facts of the bible in fact in fact there are there are hundreds if not thousands of commentaries on the Bible that are written by people who are unsaved people I mean you can study the Bible you could there are things you could know about the Bible but but you don't understand what the Bible is about unless you have the Spirit of God within you the natural man doesn't get it doesn't understand it. they are foolishness to him why because the truth of the Bible Is not just an academic study, but they are spiritually discerned, spiritually judged. The unsaved are unredeemed and still lost in their sin. It's a question of of justification. They, they, They have not received the forgiveness of their sin, nor have they received the presence of the Spirit of God, and they are still lost in their sin. That's the natural man. Paul gives us now a a, a second category, a second category in verse 15. But he who is spiritual, he who is spiritual. And the, the spiritual person is someone who is, number one, they are born again, they are spirit indwelt. They have the benefits of these previous verses of the Spirit of God working in their life. They are are born again. Number two, they are Spirit-controlled. One of the the most important um, uh, benefits of understanding what what progressive sanctification is all about has to do with understanding that the Spirit of God works in our lives. Um, one, of the, one of the things that revolutionized my thinking on spiritual life is when I was, a, when I was a, a, a student at faith back in the 1970s. In fact, the title of the book is taken from verse 15, Francis Chafer has a book called He Who is Spiritual, just, just a little little thin book, and I would commend it to you. I think, I think it really changed my perspective on, on how the Christian life works and how the Christian life functions. For me, it was really a kind of a, a, a directional book in, in, in many respects. Uh, so, so being spirit controlled. Number three, spiritually growing. Second Peter three, verse eighteen talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. A, a, a spiritual Christian, someone who someone who knows the Lord is their Savior. Someone who is living a healthy Christian life. Is, is constantly growing and maturing. We are learning things about the Scripture. We learn things not only academically, but we learn things experientially about, about uh, what it is to walk with the Lord, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Number four, we are producing spiritual fruit. There is a, a, a fruit-filled life, if you will, John chapter fifteen, where where Christ is the is the is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and 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 Christians are to produce fruit in their lives. Uh, this is what James chapter two is talking about. James chapter two, um, if, if if you want to show somebody. What it is to be a Christian—it's not what comes out of your mouth, but it's what comes out of your life. Your, our, our lives are to be are to be producing. We are to be producing good works with our lives. You know, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We know those verses on salvation very well. But what does verse ten say? Verse 10 says you are are saved to produce good works. That that the fruitfulness of the the Christian life is to be be intrinsic to who we are as a believer. And then we are to be obedient to Christ. He He is, after all, who we are following when we call ourselves a Christian you know what what does the word Christian mean well it means we are a follower of Christ how do we know we are a follower of Christ I could make a political analogy of what it is to follow someone politically I'm going to refrain from that at the moment we are, we are a Christian because we are obedient to our Lord. We follow him. That's what a spiritual man is. Verse, verse 14, they are um, or verse 15, A spiritual man judges all things, yet he is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ, and we are following Christ. We love the Lord. That's what a spiritual person does. He embraces the truth of Christ and follows him. So with the natural man, it's a question of justification, but with the spiritual man, now it's a question of sanctification. We, we have this entrance through faith, through the blood of Christ into the Christian life, now we have a responsibility to grow, to develop, to mature through the Spirit of God in our life. That brings us to chapter 3. And understand now, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you understand that 1 Corinthians is filled with, um, it's 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 about a church that has problems. They are taking each other to, other to court. They are um, it, it, there's sin in the in the church that they haven't dealt with. There's there's problems of of uh, uh, what they eat on feast days. There's there's a they're, they're misusing the Lord's table. I mean, there's just it's problem after problem after problem in First Corinthians. So Paul says in verse one of chapter three, I brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual. Uh, the New King James adds, adds the word people. But what he's doing is he's referencing back these two categories of the natural man who are unsaved, and the spiritual man, the spiritual person who is a who is a believer, growing in Christ, following Christ. Now he doesn't say, I have to write to you, I wanted to write to you as spiritual people who are believers, but I can't do that, I'm going to write to you like you're unbelievers. That's not what he, that's not what he says here. What he says here is he creates now, and, and, and I will confess in the outline, it looks like maybe there's a third category and i and i think that, that that sometimes we make a mistake in trying to think that there's there are three categories of spirituality you could be a, you could be a saved person you can be an unsaved person or you can be this this carnal person and and i think if we think of it that way as three categories we're thinking of it in the wrong light and 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 I, I have a third point in my outline and so you might you might think that I'm somehow making a third category but I but I want us to understand Paul says I couldn't write to you as spiritual but as to carnal now your translation if you have for example a ESV might read flesh fleshly something like that it's 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 the word it's the word for for meat is literally what it is. It's the the idea of being flesh driven, carnal or um, you know, we, we get our we get our English word carnivore from from the from the the, the the term. But as but but Paul says I wanted to write to you like you are spiritually minded growing believers who are driven by the Spirit of God and want to obey Christ But rather, I can't write to you like that, but I have to write to you as though you are carnal. It is not that you are unsaved. Paul is not saying that you are unsaved. In fact, what's interesting here is the letter is not just written to the average person in the pew in Corinth, I think. I think the the letter is actually written more so to the leadership of the church of of Corinth. From the top, especially the top, all the way down through the church, they were engaged in less than healthy Christian living. So much so that Paul calls them, calls them carnal. And so he describes now what 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 this is what this is actually like. So he says he says number one, you are immature spiritually. You you are you are like babes. You are babes in Christ. And and he describes what, what what he needs to do is, you know, what does a baby need? We got a baby present. What does a baby need? What kind of a diet do babies need to have? Well, they need they need milk. Verse two. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. We're gonna have lunch today. I hope you came prepared for lunch. We're gonna we're gonna have a fellowship here this morning around the table. I hope we have some meat, some solid food. I hope we have something that I can sink my teeth into. You know? I'm not asking for steak, not asking for that, but I'd like to have some solid food. Why? Because I'm a full-grown guy, and, and if you put me on a milk diet, we're not going to be getting along very well together. Well, what does an infant need? An infant needs what their body can actually uh, metabolize. You give, a, you give a baby, you know, here's, 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 here's hamburger and pork chop to, to the baby. It's not going to work very well, is it? These people in Corinth were believers, but they were acting like infants, spiritual infants. They, weren't, they, they, had, they had not grown like they should. Their, their thought processes were not what they should be. They were immature spiritually. Number two, they're acting more like an unbeliever than a believer. They're acting really like an unbeliever. Their spiritual choices, their, 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 their thinking in the scriptures were not were not the way it should be. Number three, that made them eligible for God to discipline. Now, one of the things that I'm I'm not going to take a lot of time, I, we, we could pause here and understand that this is a this is a huge category in the scripture as to how God the Father disciplines his children. Now, why does God the Father discipline his children? Because they are disobedient. Because they are not what they should be. In fact, we, we have, we have uh, Hebrews chapter 12 that really says, you know, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a father, if an earthly father loves his child, what is he going to do to that child? He's going to discipline him. And if you are living a Christian life and your heavenly father doesn't ever discipline you, it is because you really don't have a heavenly father. Because because a, a father on earth a, a, a parent will discipline his child so a, the heavenly father will discipline his children but why does the heavenly father discipline his children it is because we are we are sinning because we are we are not doing what we should be doing and so when when you are when you are acting if you will as a as a believer you know the Lord is your Savior, but you are acting like, like an immature spiritual baby. You are opening up your life for the disciplining hand of God. That's what is engaged, that's what's happening, for example. And I there are many places in Scripture where you can find this. Many, many places. But look, look, we aren't going to turn there, but. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where you have the Lord's table, we read from that chapter virtually every time we have the Lord's table. And it says there are some among you who, who are sick and some among you who sleep, which, which is a euphemism in scripture for, for you've died. And the point is, the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in particular that verse is talking about God disciplining his children because they have not done what they should have been doing in the Lord's table. And God reached down as the father to discipline his children. And, and understand, understand that the father fleshly believer the carnal believer who is a babe in Christ not maturing the way he should why because of sin in his life opens up his life for the disciplining hand of God in his life and then number four and I think the way I understand a carnal Christian if you will is they are willingly distracted from spiritual growth they are willingly distracted from spiritual growth and so they have they have allowed the it might be circumstances it might be of their own generation their own willingness But they have allowed themselves to become distracted from what the Lord whom they say saved them. They have become distracted from that and have allowed the world and Satan to have greater impact in their life than Christ. And I think that a lot of this is related to two different things. One is unconfessed sin they have invited sin into their lives and are are holding it are welcoming it are grasping it and those who have wrong priorities they just are not doing the right things the way god would have them to do it now we're not going to turn for example to mark chapter 4 which describes the parable of the soils. Remember, the sower sows the soil, some hits the road, some hits the rocky ground, and some hits the weeds. Now, to some degree, your view of sanctification affects how you interpret that parable. But the, but the, the seed that ends in the, in the, uh, the weeds... The weeds spring up, and and it is the. Um, in fact, in fact, look, keep your finger here. Keep your finger here. But let's just let's just look at Mark chapter four. And I'm. If you are not familiar with the parable, you you can look at that at your own leisure. But um, I'm going to just jump to the chase here. Um, In verse 18, where Christ explains the parable. These are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and become unfaithful or excuse me unfruitful that is i believe a description of the christian described in 1 corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 verse 1 and 2 it is it is a christian that has allowed other things, other things, other priorities than the things of Christ. What the parable describes as weeds. What should the person who is described in verses 18 and 19 of Mark 4, what do they need to do? And the answer to that question is, it's not that they need to get saved, because I think that's already who they are. They are already a saved person. What they need to do is they need to pull those weeds out of their lives. They need to, they need to extricate themselves from, from worry or from a desire for wealth or for wants. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things come in and choke the word. And I think that's what was happening in in, uh, the church at Corinth. They they were not following God's word. If they weren't following God's word, what were they doing? They're following their own opinions. They're following how they think it ought to be done. they they are engaging in sin themselves. They're, they're, they're not taking care of the sin that's in the camp. There's all kinds of problems in, in the church at Corinth. I wanted to talk to you, Paul says, I wanted to talk to you like you're a spiritual person. But I couldn't do that. Rather, I have to talk to you like baby talk. I have, uh, we, get a, we get a phone call at least every day Sometimes twice a day, from uh, from our our uh, one and a half year old in in uh, Illinois, and he's a riot. He's a, he's absolutely he's absolutely a riot, and so he, he you know he has he, got this thing now where uh, you know if, if you ask him now I do this with all the kids I teach them you know where's your where's your fat belly. And so they all, you know, they all love to show you where their where their fat belly is, and then and then you know, do you want to, Do you want to get tickled? Do you want to get tickled? And he says no, and then it'll come up to the phone, and he he'll lift his he'll lift his fat belly and wants to get tickled, you know, and um, and so you know, when when you're when you're a babe, you you deal with things on that level. That's the level you have to work with. Paul says, that's not what you should be doing. You should be, I want to deal with you as spiritual, he says in verse 1. Like you are you are a mature, growing, spirit-led church. But that's not who you are. And so what, what Paul does here is, I think he gives us a sense of understanding that within within the Christian life, all of us struggle. All of us struggle. Now listen, those who are spiritual, there's not one person who is a spiritual believer who doesn't sin. 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. And we understand that that even even spiritual people sin. But what spiritual people do when they sin is they make that right with God. They confess that sin, and there's repentance in their lives, and and they they make those course corrections. But 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 a carnal Christian doesn't. A carnal Christian is is satisfied where they are walking, not with the Lord, not, not being led by the Spirit, but they are satisfied with less. They're satisfied with, with worry and with the desire for wealth and the wants of this world. They're satisfied with sin. Does that mean that they're unsaved? I don't think that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. I don't think he's saying the solution in Corinth is that you all need to get saved. I don't think that's what he's saying here. What he's saying is you are, you are believers. You are, either, you are either an unbeliever, a natural man, or, or you, are, you are a believer. But within the camp of a believer... Paul says, I want you to be spiritual. I want you to be desiring to serve the Lord and to be part of what the Lord is doing. But it's possible today that you are living for yourself, not for the Lord. You're satisfied with sinfulness in your life, not with repentance. You're not following the Spirit, but you're following your own whims and wishes, he gives us i think two cautions and i'll just share these briefly with you before i i engage the covenant issues and here's here's two of the two of the leading issues can you be saved and never evidence fruit can you be saved and never evidence spiritual fruit and that's that is what the free grace movement really says you really don't need to have fruit in your life and I would say to you everything in the scripture cries out that if you are truly saved you will have fruit in your life but the second issue is can you have an assurance of salvation when you are actually a carnal believer if you are living in sin, if you have, if, if you know, we we had a we had a man in in uh, where I was an assistant in Houston, Texas. He was the treasurer of the church. He was active and following the Lord. He his his family was faithful in church, and he lost his job. The the the, the economy in Houston took a major downward turn. He lost his job. Uh, debt began to pile up. Uh, he he stopped coming to church. He was, you know, he was he was. Uh, it went into probably what was clinical depression. He, he he. I mean, he just lost his way. He lost his way spiritually. Now, was was he an unsaved man? I don't think so. And and we praise the Lord that. You know, it, it took a couple of years, but he got his life put back together. He got, you know, he got he got spiritually back up on his feet, it got to be where he should have been. But he was a man, I think, that was engaging um, carnality. He was living. He was living in the flesh, not living in the spirit. Now, I couldn't come to him in the midst of his downward spiral spir- spiritually I couldn't come to him and say you know you need to buck up suck it up and you know you need to demonstrate that you're that you're living for the Lord I, you know I I, I I he was acting everything about his life he was acting like an unbeliever but I would say to you Assurance of salvation is a a real thing. I'll just just give you this one one part of understanding. Many of you know who John Piper is. Many things we do not agree with John Piper. Uh, By the way, this is one of them. John Piper, who is very much in a lordship salvation camp, would say and has said, and I've heard him say it, here, he, here he's been a, you know, a, 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 a Baptist pastor his entire life. Here John, or John Piper says, I don't know for sure that I'm saved because I have not persevered to the end. And I would say to you that that view denies really an assurance of salvation and I think, folks, that there is a, there, there is a middle ground here between the, between the extremes. Now, what I want to do is I want to think through, just for a few moments, I want to think through the church covenant. I realize that you don't necessarily have a copy of it in front of you. The, the church covenant, as we have it in large part, what will be presented today, is, is really from the 1850s. Um, a man named John Newton Brown put together a a a really not scripture but principles of what the Christian life looks like and Baptists are not specifically creedal now what does that mean if you ask if you ask a, a, a Baptist preacher or a Baptist professor, I'll take Pastor Taylor here. If you ask a Baptist professor, what do you believe about something? Our first reaction is not, well, the London Confession of Faith says this, or the the, the Philadelphia confession, both were Baptist or Baptist documents. That's not our first reaction. Our first reaction is this, is, this is what the Bible says about this. Now, I went to a, I went to a Presbyterian school. That doesn't mean I'm Presbyterian, but, but they were kind enough to let a dispensational Baptist attend, attend their school. If you ask a Presbyterian what they believe, do you know what their first reaction is? Well, this is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. If you ask a, a a Lutheran what they believe, do you know what their first response is? Their first response is, "This is what the Augsburg Confession of Faith is." Well, that's not how we think. We don't. We don't. In, in our Baptist world, we think we don't think confession of faith first. We think Bible first. And that's really what the covenant is designed to do is to demonstrate a a series of principles that are that are based on the word of God. And really what it is, it's a it's a contract. It's like a it's like a, a contract. We use the word covenant, it's not like the Abrahamic covenant or the new covenant. But it's really a it's a contract between the gathered church, the people who are who are part of of Northridge Baptist Church, you are saying to each other, this is what we will agree to do. And there's really three things that are part of understanding the covenant. First of all, it is, a, it is while it doesn't have everything that we should be doing, it is a fairly good expression of what the Christian life should look like. In, at least in principle form, and so it is a it is a it's it's a it's a target for us to understand that this is this is the 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 high ideal of what a, what a Christian's life should look like. The second thing that it does for us is it's convicting. I cannot read, which I'm going to read the covenant in just a moment here. I'm going to end end by reading the covenant. What what the church covenant does for us is it provides for us motivation for how to live our lives for the Lord in a a higher way, in a better way, in a more scriptural way. I cannot, even as I read it today... It's convicting to my life as I think about what are the high ideals that the that the uh, that the, that the Lord has for me, and so it is. It's a, it's a target, but it's also it's also a means of convicting because we all need to improve. We all need to do better. Every one of us could pick up, if you will could pick up our game when it comes to the Christian life. The third thing it does is it provides an, a, a means and a way to think through church discipline because one of the things that, that that as we as we as we live through the Christian life, when there is gross violation, now none of us live it perfectly but when there is gross violation of the Covenant, it provides an opportunity for the church to address that area in a, in a Christian's life and to say, this is what you need to do. And it, be, and it can become a basis for how you might discipline somebody in the future. So having said that, let me, um, let, let me read this. Again, it's not, it's not, this isn't specifically doctrinal. This is practical. There are no negatives. We are we are often held to what we don't do, what we, you know, what are the rules? What do you know? You can't do this. You can't do that. Can't do this over here. There's not one negative in the in the in the statement. As we think about it, these are these are statements of positive, of how we want to live for the Lord. So let me let me read here the what is being presented for a vote here in the next hour. Having been led by the Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and on public confession of our faith, having been baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We purpose, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to attend its services regularly, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin and to give faithfully of time and talent in its activities, to contribute cheerfully and regularly as God has prospered us to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. We also purpose to maintain family and private devotions, to search the scriptures with all diligence, to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our conduct, to avoid gossip, backbiting, and unrighteous anger, to abstain from all forms of activity which dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ, cause stumbling to a fellow believer, or hinder the winning of a soul to Christ, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the cause of Christ our Savior and to recognize his preeminence in all things. We further purpose to engage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return, to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and obedient to the teaching of our savior to secure it without delay to remember our relationship to the lord jesus christ as our lord and king and to endeavor to in the midst of evil report and good report to live to his glory we moreover purpose That if we move from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church of like faith and order where we can carry out the principles of God's word and the spirit of this covenant. There are five sentences, what are generally viewed as paragraphs, but there's only five periods in the entire document. And I'll just give you very quickly the, 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 what those five paragraphs are. I'll do this very quickly. Number one is our commitment. It's a, our commitment is to the Lord. Number two is our corporate duty. Number three is our private duty. Number four is our relationship duty. and the fifth paragraph the last paragraph our continuing duty and i would say to you i would encourage you uh, uh, assuming that the covenant passes in the in the next meeting is that y- you carry it in your bible i i have i have right here now i'm a I am a member of, of Ankeny Baptist Church. I have, I have Ankeny Baptist Church Covenant I carry with me all the time. And in fact, as I was, was looking this morning, I actually have, I have another church's church covenant with me too, which is not, not this one, but it's very similar to what this is. And, um, and so I would encourage you to carry it with you. Put it in a, I have it in a smaller format, a little smaller format, and carry it with me every, everywhere I go. I have the, I have the covenant with me. And I, would, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's, for me, it is an encouragement. I cannot read it without being encouraged, but I, I also cannot read it without being convicted. And I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to have godly principles of, of right living, not only personally, but corporately and in my family. How do we do this together? Uh, may the Lord bless this church as it seeks to please the Lord and live for him. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege of thinking through what sanctification looks like even briefly this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen us as a, as a church, as, a, uh, as an outreach, as a, as a salt and light in this community and we would ask father that you would encourage and strengthen this church for your name's sake because you're strengthening our individual lives before you in Jesus name we pray amen